Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. The Lord is good. Wasn't that wonderful? How about that dance? Is that dance incredible? The dry bones are coming to life. What did you guys feel in worship? Man, I just felt the Lord was doing an incredible work this morning. I felt like, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, he's the lion and the lamb. And sometimes he comes roaring like a lion. And it's needed, isn't it? It's needed sometimes. But then sometimes he knows how to come in as the lamb, doesn't he? And that's also needed. And uh, I just was getting overwhelmed in worship this morning because I really just had a sense of the Lord that uh, he was really coming in gentle this morning. And I've learned that when that begins to happen, then there's usually a deeper work that God wants to do. There, there's a deeper work in all of us that he wants to do. And that's okay because we go through times and seasons like that, and it's all for our betterment. It's all for us to become mature men and women of God. And it kind of is funny because it ties into the word that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share today. I was kind of intentional. I, I didn't prepare an outline uh, this morning because I'm just kind of, I felt to talk from my heart this story that I've been like longing over and reading over for the last couple of weeks. And it's a familiar story. I'm sure a lot of you know. Maybe some of you don't, and, uh, but that's okay. But it's going to be the story of Joseph. How many have remember and heard the story of Joseph? Right? How many can identify with some of Joseph's life? Yeah? The ups and the downs. Someone once said, if you took Joseph's life, it goes like this and like this, like this and like this. But if you were to draw a line around it, it forms a crown. Up and down. And I think a lot of it, that's kind of how it is with our relationship with Jesus. So I want you to turn your Bibles with me. And uh, we're going to go to Genesis where this story is. But uh, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 41. And I'm, of course, I'm going to have you hold there. Because we're going to start a few other places. But in Genesis 41, now, the story of Joseph, there's so much to it. There's, there's so many chapters dedicated to it that we could spend, I could spend six months on it. But for today, our time, our purpose is here. I want to zero in on a few things about Joseph's life that are usually brushed over. Because when we think of Joseph, we think of this guy that almost made zero mistakes and the amount of persecution and the amount of obstacles and challenges that he had to overcome. You know, it's almost like this guy did it almost perfectly. But if you look very closely, I want to bring out, not to pick on Joseph, but I want to show he did make a few mistakes. And we can learn from those mistakes. But then, not just to analyze those mistakes, but to see the bigger picture of what God was doing in his life and what I believe he's doing in all of our lives across the board. Amen? So I, I really don't have a title or anything. The, the best way that I know I could put this into a word format is I want to talk about how to develop a healthy perspective of looking at the past. How to develop a healthy perspective of looking at the past. A, lo a lot of times we don't have a healthy perspective when we look at the past. Right? It can get kind of uh, challenging, especially if there's hurts and wounds, and difficulties in the past. But how many know that's all part of the process for us becoming more like Jesus? Amen? So, Father, we just thank you right now. And, Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done so far in this meeting, in this service. And so, Lord, I just yield to you, Father. I yield to you right now. The Bible says that you are our ever-present help in the time of trouble. That you actually know every hair on our head. That your thoughts towards us are wonderful. That you absolutely love us and lead us and, and so desperately want to be a part of every area of our life. Lord, we acknowledge that. And we just want to, I just want to thank you for that right now, Lord. And Lord, for the next few moments we have together, I ask, Holy Spirit, would you just begin to illuminate your word? Bring us into this storyline. 
Bring us into the time of Joseph. Bring us into the time of what you were saying and doing. Lord, that something may be unlocked in us. That something may surface within us that leads to a greater breakthrough of healing and redemption and reconciliation. Lord, we invite you now. Lord, your word says, I'll send the spirit of truth and he will lead and guide and he will instruct you in the ways of truth. And so we yield to that right now, Holy Spirit. And we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before I want to kick this off, it kind of also ties into it. I never really had a chance to expound a little bit. But um, about a month ago, a few months, a few weeks ago, a month ago, I had an opportunity to go to Virginia Beach. And uh, I shared this a little bit, but my wife gave me a, a great anniversary present on our 11th wedding anniversary. And the present was to take three days and go seek the Lord. And that's a great present. And uh, in that time of seeking the Lord, I was so excited and anticipating this incredible revelation, this unlocking of the future, this, I don't know, just, just an amazing, I just had a lot of expectations. But then, of course, when I got to Virginia Beach and I got to this uh, place where I was staying for three days, God had a different plan, as he always does. And I got there, and then I soon realized that he wanted to do something different, and he wanted to treat wounds and hurts in my heart and in my life that I didn't even really know that was there. And so what I learned from that is maybe this is just something I'm going through personally, kind of what Mark was sharing earlier today. But, you know, sometimes what we're going through, a lot of us in the body are also going through the same thing. And so I feel overwhelming prophetically right now from that experience to now. I really feel we're in this moment right now where the Lord is really doing a deep work in his bride. And he's really even surfacing some things from the past, not to bring shame and guilt, but to bring healing, wholeness, and completion. So that the coming of the fire of God, the raising of the army of the Lord, and the revival that we've been praying and, and believing will come forth like a mighty wave. But sometimes there has to be some pre preliminary work. So let's talk about this thing with the past. So, of course, if you've hung around me long enough, you know I love the history and I love the past. And sometimes I used to think I was born in the wrong generation. I, I, I was so fascinated with reading about the era in the 1800s. And sometimes I used to think back in the day, like, Lord, I think I was born in the wrong generation. I, was, I should have been born in that generation. But no, God said I didn't make a mistake. But I, I've often loved the past and studying the past. And of course, I've had to overcome some obstacles and even some some words from people and perspectives that say, why are you digging up the past? Why, why are you going there? Why, why don't you just leave it alone? Are you trying to repeat something? Are you, are you trying to re, reproduce something? But that's not, that's not it. And so I want to look at this issue of how we can develop a healthy, healthy perspective of our past. Before we go into Joseph's story, there's a couple of scriptures I think we're all familiar with. One comes out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And I want you to look at Paul's perspective real quick of the past. And in Philippians 3, verse 12, there's a famous passage, and it goes like this. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Right? This is Philippians 3, now verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. But one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straining for what's ahead. Do you hear that? Forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to what's ahead. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 is another famous passage. And Paul puts it like this. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old has gone, the new has come. Don't we all like the new? Woo. Come on. I remember when we first got our new, it wasn't a new car, but it was, a, it was like a two-year-old minivan. And it was new. It was the first time we had anything close to being new. And there was an excitement that came with the new. We were ready to discard the old van that was breaking down. We all want the new. And we all want to do what Paul does. Let's forget what's behind and press forward to what's ahead. It's biblical. 
It's healthy. It's what the Lord says. The Bible is full of that. Isaiah prophesied, behold, I do a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And God desires to do that new thing in us, I think, all the time. But here's the deal. <laughs> there is a however in that. You can't fully forget the past if there's still things hung up in it. Do you hear what I'm saying? You see, before Paul said that, if you preface it a few verses earlier in Philippians, remember what he said. If anyone has reason to think and put confidence in the flesh, trust me, I have more. Born on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee above Pharisee, zealous before all my fathers in regards to the law, perfect in without blame. But I consider that rubbish all to my loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's doing? Paul is saying, look, I can forget the past and move forward because I went and I dealt with my past. And I went and I went and I healed from those wounds. Come on. He recognized it and he was able to move forward. So do you see what they have in common? Forgetting the old, pressing forward towards the new. There's, there's even this thought, you know, I thought about this a lot. Of course, many of you know my testimony and the way I came to the Lord, which was through just a, ugh, a massive amount of pain and crack cocaine addiction and sexual confusion and everything you can imagine. And even as I entered in, listen, if anybody had a Damascus Road encounter in this room right now, I know that I did. I know I did. I know I did. If anyone had a genuine, authentic, heartbreaking, weeping from the belly, do you know what I'm talking about? That belly weeping cry because of, because of the grace of the Lord and you know how messed up you are? I had it. But then as I moved forward from that spot, it didn't just magically erase everything that happened before that moment. I had to walk through some things. And I had to allow the Lord to heal some things. So... This really plays out in Joseph's life. So in Genesis chapter 41, let's just talk about Joseph for a little bit. In Genesis 41, and we'll start in verse 44, but this is more towards the end of his life. So let me just rehash and bring us all on the same page. Now, for those of us who know Joseph's story, we remember what? He had, he had a lot of brothers, right? He had 11 brothers, right? He had a father. His father was Jacob. Now, what do you remember about his relationship between him and his brothers? It's not good, was it? They were very jealous. They were very angry. They just couldn't stand him. Why? Because the father showed more love to Joseph than he did his other brothers. I know I don't have that many kids, but I have five. And I know that if I show a lot of attention and love on one of them, all the other ones are going to get riled. I mean, they're going to get wound up. <laughs> they're going to be like, mm-mm. And, you, I mean, it just brings turmoil in the house. So you can just see how all that dynamic played. But, again, we know the story. Joseph has dreams. He has dreams from the Lord that one day the stars and the moons are going to bow down. This is interpreted even then that this was going to be as even his father and mother, his brothers, one day would bow down before him. This incited anger and rage against him all the more. And we know what happened. He, the brothers go out to do the flocks, and, and Jacob sends Joseph with the coat of many colors out to him, and they come up with this plan. And what do they do? They want to kill him. One of the brothers, you know, pleads mercy. And instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit. And while they have him in a the pit, they're debating, what do we do with this brother of ours, our, our flesh and blood? What do we do with him? And they see this caravan of Ishmaelites on the way, and they say, well, we're going to sell him as a slave, and then he'll be gone. And that's what they did, right? They sold their brother into slavery. Now, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think here. And they took his coat, and they ripped it to shreds, dipped it in blood, and the story was that some ferocious animal attacked our brother on the way. And that's what they told Jacob, the father. Of course, he was devastated. But he didn't suspect that was a lie, did he? He thought that was truth. And that became what I like to call the family secret. 
And they took that coat, and that became the story. So from that perspective, this family secret, only the brothers knew what really happened. But the rest of the people back home think Joseph was eaten by an animal. Now, Joseph, follow his storyline. He goes to Potiphar's house. He doesn't, ironically, he does not get bitter towards God. I think a lot of people at that point would get bitter. I mean, come on. What about my prophetic word, God? This is not adding up to what you told me. This isn't the vision. See, oftentimes when God moves us in this way and we're really following after the Lord, he'll first show us the vision like he showed him the dream. He'll give him the big picture, but instead of going this way towards it, he's going to take you that way to it. So you're not going to go that way to it. You're going to go back around and this way to it. That's just how the Lord does it. And so Joseph goes, Potiphar's house, he's there for a while, does well. And then remember what happens? His wife accuses, or before she accuses, she's wanting to be with Joseph. He resists again. He's standing strong. And then all of a sudden, she accuses him of trying to be with her sexually and have an affair against her husband. The husband believes her. And just like the lie of the coat with the ferocious animal and his father believes it, now Potiphar believes the lie about his wife that, be, that, that, that sends Joseph into prison for three years. What a life. That doesn't sound like the, the life that the Bible promises sometimes, does it? But it happens. And so what ends up going is Joseph goes to prison, but even in prison, I'm going a point here. I want you to really see this. He does not grow bitter, does he? He still has a relationship with God. It's still intact. Now, I just want you to just paint the picture with me. I mean, you got a family. Some of you have a family. I mean, think about that. Think about that if you got brothers and sisters. Think about if they would reject you, sell you away into slavery, to some truck driver at a truck stop and lie about what happened to you, to your family. Imagine the level of rejection and woundedness that Joseph had to endure. He wasn't wanted. I mean, could you think of those thoughts? I wasn't wanted. All of these things are, are coming to him. And, and so how do you walk through that? Now, we know he had a good relationship with the Lord, but yet... There's some things that are kind of brewing underneath the surface. I think God was watching Joseph like he watches many of us. And God, we know, had a plan. He gives Pharaoh the dream. Joseph is in prison interpreting dreams. We're going to revisit that in a moment. He's in prison. Oh, God. Holding a dream school. Come on. Interpretations. And then all of a sudden... The Pharaoh's dream is the dream that not only gets him out of prison, but positions him as the governor of all of Egypt. Why is that important? Because Egypt in that time was the world perennial power. It was the nation that was the strongest on the earth. Pharaoh, in charge, puts Joseph right underneath him. Joseph has influence in everything you can imagine. And that's where I want to pick up. Genesis 41, verse 44. Look at this. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand and foot in all the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name. I want you to circle this. Lord, help me to say it right. Zephanath Penei. Zephanath Penei. And gave him Asnath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife, and Joseph went through the land of Egypt. That name, Zephenath Penah, literally means in Hebrew, the revealer of secrets. You see, there's a difference between secrets and mysteries. Now, Paul said that there are mysteries of the gospel. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What a mystery. There are mysteries in the gospel, not secrets. Secrets are contained in the flesh. Mysteries are contained in the spirit. 
What's the difference? Secrets are knowable to a small group of people or even to one somebody. They know what's going on and they hold it, they withhold it. And oftentimes there's damage, pain, and hurt wrapped around it. I want to keep it a secret. But mysteries are unknowable. And the only way you can know that is through the revelation of the Father from heaven to you. But isn't it funny that Pharaoh recognizes something in Joseph, a Hebrew slave from prison. There's an anointing on his life. There is something, a presence about him, something different that he takes him not just from the prison to the palace, but to the position in the government where he gives all trust to him. And not only does he label, I don't think he's labeling Joseph. I think he's given us glimpses into his identity and calling. You are a revealer of secret things. Come on. I feel God is raising up in this hour Josephs in the body of Christ that are just going to stand through the storm in the secrets that have been in the heart of men will just start coming to the surface. They're just going to start coming to the surface. Because there are no secrets in the kingdom of God. There can't be. It's a kingdom of conscience. It's a kingdom of honesty and transparency. And all those things that happen that are secrets will one day come forth. I promise you. It's in the word. Nothing is concealed that won't be revealed. I'm not saying that to shame us. I'm not saying that to intimidate us. I'm not saying that to make us afraid. I'm saying that in the context of the anointing that God put on Joseph's life, that he used this man to reveal the secret that was in his brother's heart, the jealousy and envy, the secret that was in Potiphar's wife's heart, that she wanted to be unfair to her husband. Do you see that? And oftentimes God will do that with you. Especially if you're really following the Lord. He will put you in environments and in situations and circumstances in your work, in your ministry, in church, in your community. And you'll just be like there. And all of a sudden this stuff will start kicking up. It'll start recycling. And you'll be like, where is this coming from? And something that's been deep buried and locked away will all of a sudden become revealed and unraveled. But not so that people can be hurt or somebody can say, I was right and you were wrong. No, it's so that reconciliation and healing can come forth. Does that, is that, are you tracking? Does that make sense? There's a difference. Now, now, here's where it gets really interesting. Now, look at this. Skip down to verse 50. Now, remember, in the dream, there was going to be seven years of famine. But before that, there will be seven years of plenty. And God gave Joseph a strategy to collect the grain and the wheat in the good days, in the seven good times, years of good, good, plentiful, but in the seven years of famine, what they saved in the seven years of the plenty was going to sustain them. Right before the famine came, there's a, there's a shift in Joseph's life. Look, look what it says, verse 50. Right before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asnath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And here's what I want us to focus. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Here's what that name means. It is because God has caused me to forget the troubles and my father's household. We brush over this without taking it in. Listen to what he's saying. Because God has caused me to forget the troubles and my father's household. In other words, the birth of his son, Joseph is saying, this is a new chapter in my life. I went from hated of my brothers, I went to slavery, I went to the pit, I went to the prison, and now I'm in the palace ruling over the land. God has blessed me. I've arrived. I've come into a place of my own. I understand now who I am, the revealer of secrets. Things are going well. And now God has blessed me with a son who now I am going to label as God has caused me to forget all my troubles in my father's house. But this is a mistake. How do you know? Because you read the next chapter. 
God didn't forget, did he? Because he had a plan. See, a lot of times when we're comfortable, you hear me? When we're comfortable, it's easy to forget the wounds of yesterday. It's easy to let those things go in the past because it's the way we have to cope with it. I mean, come on. If you went through an ordeal in your marriage, your children, and it's been this family secret or tucked away, you don't want to let it out because it'll hurt too many people, right? I mean, that's what we think. It will damage. What if we let it out now years later? It would destroy our family. It would destroy our parents. It would destroy our children. And we hold to that belief. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that is not the way of the kingdom. Listen. Now, there's wisdom in this. This doesn't mean you, there's a timing involved. There's God moving and breathing on this involved. But there has to be a time when God takes us back so that he can repair and restore and heal so that we can move forward. What are you trying to say? Here's the word. This is what I'm, the point is this. You can't forget what you've not forgiven. And if you've never dealt with it, you won't heal from it. Even though your present reality will tell you otherwise. Listen now. This is wild. This is deep. Two-thirds of Joseph's life was blessed. It was blessed. He had money. He had a position. He had people that loved him. He had a family. He had the evidence of the presence. He was operating in his giftings. Dreams and interpretation of dreams. He was a fully functioning believer. But a third of his heart was still locked in a prison of bitterness. And he didn't even know it. God has caused me to forget all of that. My father's house. Listen, in Hebrew, father's household. Father is Ab. Well, we get Abba, A-W-B, Ab. Ab literally means ancestors and grandfathers. So what Joseph was saying, because the pain was too heavy and the rejection too strong from my family, I'm going to make a choice that that is disconnected from me now. And not only is my father gone, but my grandfather Abraham and Isaac that I heard all the stories, that's not me anymore. It can't be because this is my new reality. Do you see how we can get to that place? But God said, no, Joseph. Now look at God's perspective on this. He's looking at Joseph saying, oh, Joseph, I love you so much. You've endured so much, and you've not, you've not, you've not went back on me. You've been faithful. I can just feel the heart of the Father. You've been faithful, Joseph, all through the storms and the trials and the jealousy. You've been so faithful, Joseph. But Joseph, here's something you can't see, and I love you enough that I'm going to walk you through another painful process. Because my plan is not just for you to sit in the palace. My plan is to save your father and the household and the promise that I made to your great-grandfather, Abraham, that you will be a great nation. You see, if God didn't do it, then he would be a liar, and that word would not come forth. But he loved Joseph enough to walk him through yet another valley of pain and hurt so that the secret, my God, could come forth and that there could be a healing in the family. Woo. Oh, that's tough sometimes, isn't it? Whew. But it's necessary. It's so necessary. We cannot forget what we have not forgiven. No matter how long and no matter how much we overcome, if there is a place where wounds have not yet been treated and the hurts given the opportunity to heal, it'll always be a reminder. We'll never fully forget about it. I know you could probably speak on that from experience. I know I can. Because I know that I've combed over a lot of things, and I tried to forget a lot of things in my past. But until some things I had to turn around and go back and deal with, no matter how long, it was then that it began to be eradicated, listen, from my memory bank. 
This is how this thing works. I'm talking true deliverance and sozo, salvation, healing, deliverance, the Greek word. Listen, how do you know if you're fully delivered and set free from an issue? It's literally unlocked from your memory. I, I, I smoked cigarettes two packs a day. I started out as a Newport man, and then I went to Marlboro Lights. They got to the menthol thing, got too hard. And 10 years straight. Now, I have been delivered of cigarettes for 14 years. And even five years ago, even up five years ago, I would have to convince myself, I'd have to convince my mind that I literally used to smoke cigarettes. Because it's not even in my memory anymore. Then that's how we have to treat these things of the past sometimes. And when we face them and we let the Lord begin to deal and heal with them, what he does is he begins to extract the pain from them. When he begins to pull the pain away from them, then you can begin to talk about it. Then it becomes a testimony. And then after it becomes a testimony, it becomes a fading memory. Do you hear what I'm saying? Joseph couldn't see that process, but that was part of the journey he was on. So he goes through, he thought that he had forgotten and everything was good. But we know in chapter 42, the famine brings his brothers into his company. It brings him in. Look at this. I want you to check this out in verse 7, chapter 42. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers... He recognized them. Very carefully, look what happens. Number one, he pretended to be a stranger. Think about it. What did he do? He put on the mask, didn't he? He put on the mask. When we pretend, that's not good. We're not made to pretend. We're made to be genuine and authentic in the kingdom of God. He paid too much of a price for us to pretend. Joseph pretended, why? Because I think it was a surprise. God didn't announce this was going to happen, did he? But that's how he does to you and I. A lot of times he'll engineer circumstances that will be surprises. Mm -hmm. Because you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get our initial immediate response. Because that's where our true heart is. And so what happens is, as that is revealed into the atmosphere, into the open, then God begins to deal with it. He pretended to be a stranger. Here's the next word. Spoke harshly. When you think of Joseph, right, you just think, oh, man, just incredible forgiveness. And they came in and he gave them the sack of grain and the silver. And, I mean, it was just, it was just awesome. He forgave them. And we, we bypassed this part. Didn't happen that way. He spoke harshly to them. The word harshly, King James says he spoke roughly to them. Roughly in Hebrew literally means to be cruel and condemning. Now let me ask you, if Joseph had fully forgiven his brothers and there was no animosity in his heart over this issue, would harshness and cruelty come from his words? No, because Jesus said in Luke 24, out of the heart the mouth will speak. But what happens? Joseph sees his brothers and his emotions are running wild. And what he thought he had forgotten, my goodness, comes back because God wants him to deal with it. Woo! And now look, what does he do? He goes down and he accuses them. He said, look. They replied, we come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, then he remembered his dreams about them and he said, Hey, you are spies. What is that? That is an accusation. That's, that's an accusing spirit. Now, know the Bible says, listen, there is an enemy, our adversary, I believe his name's Satan in the Bible, says that he accuses the brethren day and night before the Lord. That's his job. So when we partner with accusation, we're allowing the spirit of the enemy to come in our life. 
Do you see what happened with Joseph? How, now, how does this work in a practical way? Let me tell you how it works. It's a three-thing Three. I like to think of it in the, in the step process. This is, again, my perspective of what I think happened as I'm reading the Bible, interpreting it. I think what happened in this moment is in Joseph's present blessing in favor of God on his life. You know, if you've ever been there, it's very easy to forget where you come from and what God is doing. And it's very easy to begin to drift to the thinking of, I've done this. Or it's been my perseverance that has caused me to be in my current position. And Satan did it, didn't he? That's how he fell out of heaven. He began to take the focus off the lamb. And he looked at his own diamonds and jewels, his own anointing, his own appearance. And he became so infatuated with it that it led him to what I call a critical spirit. Then he began to criticize God and he criticized himself. That critical spirit led to an accusation, the accuser. And that's how this process works, I believe. What happens is we take our eyes off the Lord, we put it on ourselves. When we put it on ourselves in some area, in some way, without even knowing, we can step and partner with the critical spirit. I had a dream like a week ago, or a week and a half ago. In the dream, it was so powerful. In the dream, I was, I was at a lake. It was a recreational lake. There was a lot of people, and I was fishing. Fishing. And I was fishing in the lake, a lot of people boating and all going on. And I'm, I'm fishing, of course, for fish, but I end up hooking a man, this adult man swimming. And I'm kind of like let down. I'm like, what, am I, what is he doing? I want to catch a fish. And you know, if you were at the beach surf fishing and you catch somebody, they'll come maybe and take the hook off and throw it. That's kind of what he did in the dream. So in the dream, I have this feeling of disappointment, dissatisfaction. The dream shifts. Here's the key. In that dream, I'm at a lake area, like staying overnight, and I go to my hotel room. I go in the hotel room in the dream, and when I go back to the room, it's completely filthy. It had not been cleaned. I mean, this was a nice hotel in the dream. I mean, you know, one of them, not like the travel budget. I mean, it was like five star. I mean, it was a real nice room. And the bed wasn't made, all this stuff was, and I remember in the dream feeling perturbed. Because I was like, this is an expensive hotel. It's supposed to be clean. You know what happened? I go out of my room into the hotel, the hallway of the hotel, and it's just me, and I'm looking, and I'm pacing, and as I do, a woman who's in the room next to me comes out of her door, and she says the same thing. And she comes to me in my dream. She goes, can you believe it? They didn't clean my room. I said, they didn't clean your room? They didn't clean my room either. They said, no, they didn't clean my room. Our rooms are not clean. We strike up a conversation. And I was like, how can you, can you believe our rooms are not clean? The next part of the dream, this gets a little wild, we're dream, this is a dream, but there's rele relevance. <laughs> so now we're together in the room, and it fills with water, and it's like a pool. It's like a pool. So I'm sitting in there, and it's me and her in this pool in the room. Thing is, we don't have any clothes on. I'm just being honest. So... It's, it's not like a sexual nature dream, though. And she's sitting there, but she comes closer and closer and closer. And in the dream, I'm feeling more uncomfortable, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, my wife is going to walk in here. This is not going to be good. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Amber? She'd be like, she'd be taking the earrings off and be like, throw down. <laughs> That's a joke in our family. And I was like, oh, my Lord. And I wake up. So now I'm asking the Lord, what is this dream all about? And just to cut it very closely and sh just simple. He said, that woman represents a critical spirit. And you need to watch out who you partner with the critical spirit. Because you don't want to do that. Because it's comfortable. See, in my dream, our conversation started by what we had in common in being critical of our rooms not being cleaned. So relationships that start with the foundation of being critical of something over here can never end good. God has to intervene. Because if we entertain that critical spirit long enough, then we step into accusation and we call it discernment. And we call it wisdom. Because now we're on a mission from the Lord. And we're going we're gonna, to, and you just go into a whole other place. 
Joseph was going to that place, y'all. He was going there. But here's the key. Look at here. He put them in jail for three days. In verse 16, send one of your brothers, number of your brothers, the rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If not, as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them in jail for three days. You know, you know, three days in jail is a long time. I've been there. Three days in jail is like three years. That's a long time. But I also believe it was a long time for Joseph. Last verse, look at here. Very next verse, verse 18. But on the third day, Joseph said, now do this and you will live, for I fear God. What happened in those three days? What conversation took place between the Lord and Joseph in those three days? Here's the point. I believe Joseph wanted vengeance. He wanted them to pay. He wanted them to suffer because that's in our human spirit. And we want them to pay. We want them to feel what we felt. We want them to taste a little bit of what we tasted so we can be right and they can be wrong. But that right flushed away when you accepted Christ Jesus. Because in the kingdom of God, we give up the right to offense. And we yield and give our lives to self-sacrifice in being trampled on sometimes if it's necessary. We have to be in order that God's kingdom and plan would go forth in power, signs, wonders, and miracles. And so Joseph laid down that life. I believe it, right there in that moment. And he began to understand God. God said, Joseph, you can't do it this way, buddy. I got another way. That's not my view. I have a different perspective. I understand what happened. I understand your pain and your guilt. Hear me this morning. God understands what you've been through. He understands where you've come from. He understands the family dynamic. He understands the relational dynamic, the work dynamic. He really understands. But he's saying, listen, there's another way to go about it. There's another approach to handle it. And it's the way of love. And it's the way of forgiveness. There's a difference between repentance and forgiveness. Basic 101. Repentance is a changing of our mind. That means it's the way we process information. It's the way we process life. It's the way our pattern and our thinking, our thoughts, all of that changes under repentance when we begin to set our minds to Jesus and we begin to make an engagement to do the right thing. But forgiveness is a change of the heart. That's the work that God does in us. And it's the Spirit of the Lord that brings conviction to our hearts. And it enables us to forgive. Come on. And so Joseph goes on and he forgives his brothers. We know that story, right? And we don't have to read it. But they come back. But here's one thing I want to point out in Genesis 44 verse 1. You know what, what the straw that broke the camel's back is Joseph puts this, his own silver cup in Benjamin's sack of grain, his own brother. And when the guards find that sack, and they cut open Benjamin's sack, and they find Joseph's own silver cup in his bag, then it's like, why did you steal from Joseph, who was just real nice to you? And they bring them all back, and Joseph says, I'm going to have your brother now until your family comes. Without going into it, I was reading, I've never understood that. Never understood. Was he still playing games? What was going on? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, remember, Michael, Joseph was bought with a price. He was bought with a piece of silver. They sold him for silver. Almost identical, the same price as his cup at his own table now. There is a restribution. There is a redemption that Joseph gives back to his brothers. And this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. They come back and he weeps uncontrollably because they all begin to intercede for Benjamin's life. And he understands that they have now changed and that that whole storyline has been redeemed. But what is the point for you and I today? You have to put substance towards your forgiveness. 
we, we say that we have to put substance to our faith, right? Through prophetic acts, demonstrations, we put substance to our faith. But in the same way, there comes a time when we have to put substance towards our forgiveness of the past and what people have done to us. Sometimes it's just not enough to say, I choose to forgive you for what you've done. That may be a beginning point, but there's some other times, depending on the situation, where you have to put substance to that forgiveness. Let me give you an example. Jesus forgave sins before he went on the cross. Your sins are forgiven. Take your mat, rise up, and walk. He was forgiving sins before his life was crucified. But he had to pay a price, and his blood was the substance towards forgiveness so that you and I could be reconciled and that we could have peace with God. Come on. I'm going to start running. Because so many people I've talked to, guys, they don't have peace in their life, and they don't have peace in their families. They don't have peace. Because this is still inactive. Listen, Christ's work finished it all. We say it, we preach it, the finished work of the cross. But then why is your sister or your brother still in sin if it's finished? Because it's not been applied yet. It's not been activated yet. But we are justified by our faith. And we are justified by our faith. We are sanctified through His grace. And we are sanctified through His grace. We become candidates to be baptized with His Spirit. Last part of this in the New Testament. Three passages. You don't have to go there. Jesus does this exact same thing with His disciples. Matthew 28, 17 Mark 16, 12, and John 20, 24. The 40-day period of the resurrection. When Christ is resurrected from the grave to when he ascends into heaven is 40 days. If you study that 40-day period and that 40-day window, Jesus does a specific work on his disciples. Notice, they're not preaching the gospel in that 40 days. They're not laying their hands on the sick. They're not doing deliverance. They're not teaching and going and going. They're locked in rooms of fear. They don't know what's going on. And for 40 days, Jesus comes because here's what these passages all have in common. They worshiped him, but yet they still doubted. They still had unbelief. And they still really didn't. Even though they're looking at the resurrected Savior, they still fully didn't believe who he was and what he did. Come on. And so Jesus, the physician, comes. And he treats the wounds of doubt and the unhealed wounds of confusion and fear. Why? So that Acts chapter 2 could come. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire can come and rest, not on a disciple group that is doubting, but on a group of people that are healed and believing. Come on. So I feel that's the word today. We have to have a healthy perspective of the past. Now we can forget and move on. But we have to treat wounds of the past sometimes. Remember that word. You cannot forget what you've not forgiven. Here's three applications on how to do that. Number one, acceptance. There's power in acceptance. When we accept what happened, we move our heart from the place of denial to the place of faith. Acceptance is our ability to take responsibility. And it's okay if we don't understand why daddy raped my sister or we don't understand why that happened in my family or why that happened to me. I may not understand fully why Joseph's brothers did what they did, but it's okay. You don't have to. But if you accept it, that's what really happened. Then you move your heart from denial to faith. That positions us for number two, acceptance and then receive it. When our hearts are positioned in faith, then we move into identity. Then we move into sonship and fatherhood and daughterhood with God because then we can receive the grace, forgiveness, the love that is needed. We can't receive it if our heart is still in denial. Remember, 
Two-thirds of Joseph's heart was free, blessed, favored, looking great on the outside, but the third of his heart was still locked back with his brothers. It wasn't so that he could get everything in the palace. It was so that he could be made whole and complete. So that's why we need to receive it. And the third thing is we need to release it. Then you release it. When you release it, and don't bury it. When you bury it, it's going to come back later. If not to you, your children or your children's children. Or your children's children's children. Because that's what the Bible says. I'll visit the iniquity of the father of the third and fourth generation. But to those who keep my commandments and those who listen to my word, I'll show my love to a thousand other generations. And that curse, my friends, will be canceled and nullified. And the blessing of love and favor will be activated. I like that. I'll end with this. Remember what Jesus said. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed. Yet God has this ability to forget. Why? Because he's fully forgiven us. And that's the charge for us today. What part of your heart is still locked in bitterness or hurt or pain in the past. Maybe there's big parts of your heart in your life that have been blessed, that have been favored, that you feel is okay. But are there some other parts that have still been kind of hiding and, and God maybe wants to deal with? I, I feel that was the word today. Because he wants us to have a healthy view of the past so that we can step into the new. Come on. Stand with me, please. Go ahead and invite worship team or.